0: You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities.
1: To the extent that these programs are successful, I do expect gold to go up, and I expect it to go up without having the corresponding increases in, in their in their operating costs, like oil, things like that. And, and that is the 70s, that is the ideal macro environment for a, for a gold mining company when gold is going up and, and the other, your input costs are not going up it, it, you know, it, to the same extent.
0: Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free to engage the show by emailing me at bill at miningstockeducation.com and one uh, recent listener to the show is a fan of my guest today my guest is dan oliver from Mir McCann Capital, and a listener of this show emailed me and said, "Bill, Dan's really sharp. You should get Dan on the show to get his thoughts on the economy, finance, and what's going on with gold and everything else in the world." So, with that being said, Dan, welcome to Mining Stock Education. It's your first time. As I look at the markets, we saw that steep sell-off in the general equities, but then they kind of came roaring back here, and they're just about 15% off their all-time highs. Uh, help me understand what's going on here. Everybody seems to be sitting at their houses. The economy's not roaring right now, but yet stocks are going up. What's going on here?
1: Well, you know, it, it, the theory that they teach you in business school and elsewhere is that stocks uh, uh, measure the value of companies, and so you've got to figure that out. But, of course, in this world, what stocks really measure is liquidity from the Fed. And you know, the, the simple answer is when the Fed dumps whatever the number is, I forget, two, three, four trillion, depending on how you count, into Wall Street. Ah, uh, they're going to have a party, and 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 that's what's happening. And it doesn't matter what the companies are worth. It matters is how much leverage does Wall Street ap- apply this new money, and where do they direct it? And every trader just wants to get in front of that wave, and uh, and and that's that's what's happening. And and it's it's a good point because. Now, you can go back hundreds of years and find commentators who talk about the fact that fiat money, that the printing press, uh, increases wealth disparity. It causes wealth to concentrate in the few, and, 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 it, and it impoverishes the, the, the many. And we see that happening over the last 10 years, especially since the bailout They paid lots of money, and, and the financial markets, asset holders, did incredibly well. And, and most of the country, the workers, uh, didn't. And, and that's why people like Bernie Sanders and, and Karl Marx himself have such followers because, because the, the, that money printing actually sucks money out of the, of the, of the working class and, and has it to the rich. And so the fact that they have now accelerated this process tremendously because of this whole lockdown business, I, I think it's not impossible to see expanding bread lines in the heartland uh, and expanding bank balances on, on, on Wall Street, which, again, seems completely uh, – uh, it, it should never happen because Wall Street is supposed to reflect the real economy. But, it, again, it doesn't. It reflects money printing b- by the Fed. It is, it's called the cotillion effect, right? And the guy threw this out was Gatillion, who was operating during the f- first great monarch credit bubble, the Mississippi bubble in France of the early uh, 18th century. And, and he noticed that people closest to the printing press, the emission of funds, uh, got the money first. And, and that's precisely what's happening in, in our world today.
0: In your view, will the Fed continue to act like the almighty over the markets, or will it be revealed as the Wizard of Oz and not so influential <laughs> well, in the future here?
1: Yeah, I mean... Uh, uh, I, I wasn't sure, as I've written many times in my letters, when the next big crunch came, would, would gold tank or would it soar, right? Because it's a very different setup from the 2008 period when, you, when gold had been going up in nominal terms. It attracted lots of momentum players uh, who, who were all levered up and they all got margin calls. They had to sell. It was a very different dynamic. And, and, and one reason I was comfortably agnostic was because I figured if, I was, if, if gold did tank first, uh, how long would it be before the Fed ran in and saved the system? And that's precisely what happened. Gold did tank, and then within you know, days or weeks or hours, I mean, depending on how you measure it, the Fed was there printing money to make sure the world didn't fall apart. There, the, the whole DNA of modern central banking, at least in the West, is to prevent another Great Depression, another w- w- which essentially was a giant banking economy-wide margin call on, on everybody. And and so they will print and print, and print the money, uh, to 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 avoid that and um, and so the more inflation impulse moves we have and we could have more uh, the head will keep printing and and that's I, I think the key insight into policy making which is that um, the the way that banks work is as all your listeners I'm sure know is that someone deposits a dollar of of new money of base money at the bank and the bank lends out collectively ten dollars that that's the textbook model of fractions or backing and as we know, they actually lend out like more like twenty or thirty dollars from that one dollar. And so, if you go back and demand that dollar back, they get a big, big problem. And and, and the way the Fed handles that problem is they just print up a new dollar to to make sure that the the banking system doesn't unwind. And so, this process has played out over so many decades that the short position is enormous, right? I mean, if you looked at the, the monetary base before this crisis started, it was around three trillion, and there's around ninety trillion dollars of U.S. dollar-denominated debt. And so, when you stop the economy, all that debt demands to get repaid uh, all, you know, all at once. Now, some of it's terms, so not literal at once, but but it's you start having cascading defaults. And so, the Fed says, "Oh my God, the dollar is getting too strong because there's a margin call, and they feel comfortable printing as much money as they have to to avoid the margin call because." There's no inflation in the sense that the, the dollar doesn't tank yet because you're in the midst of, the, of this short squeeze. And so they put the money to, to fill in the money with that short squeeze. But, of course, the, the problem is that they don't really, really think about it, is that when they've done that process, when they filled up all those those uh, fractures of deaths with new money, uh, the bank system can do it again. And so they can massively expand uh, the amount of credit. And that's, that was the purpose of locking up all that money at the Fed last time. They've got a much bigger problem. And I, I think the the, the the real crux is someone asked Powell a week or two ago if he was worried about inflation, and he said no. I mean, he literally said, no, that's not the concern right now. It's This is an existential crisis. We'll worry about that later. So, literally, the Fed, although its mandate is to have a stable currency, it simply doesn't care right now. What it cares is making sure that we don't get a total unwind of this $90 trillion debt pyramid and, and, and consequences be, be what may later. But So that, that's that, that's what's happening.
0: So then how that relates to the general equities, are they going to continue to rise as long as the Fed keeps on injecting cash or will there be a sell-off uh, this year that some are predicting?
1: I, I think both. I mean, I, th- I think what will happen is that the, there'll be sell-offs and that will convince the Fed to print more. because the the again, the Fed's DNA is don't don't allow prices to start going down because what happened in the in the Great Depression and everywhere is that if you get enough down momentum in and in, in equity prices, you can start getting margin calls. And then you gotta sell to get the cash to meet your margin call, but that puts prices lower and the next guy gets a margin call. And so the whole thing unravels. And it's not necessarily equity markets that care about, it's the debt markets, right, which are even more uh, 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 levered up. I mean, the the levered loan market is completely insane. The the CLO market has all these things in it. And and you know what? One of the scary things about this crisis is that um, if you think about uh, junk paper, right, the, the high yield paper of of really really bad assets, when those default, it doesn't really matter so much because everyone is and knows it can default. And so you've got, you got cowboys in there who can afford the the hit. What? What really screws up the system is when a AAA piece of paper defaults because you create these securitization structures, you create those AAA paper under these models that say, okay, only 10 or 20% can possibly default. So the other 80% are AAA rated. And then you take the AAA paper and you can lever it up 20 times and do it again, right? So if part of that AAA paper blows up, it's not just the loss that you experience on, on that piece of paper. It's the 20x leverage you've applied to it that, that's sprinkled throughout the system. And again, you know, when you look at models, uh, economists think, oh, well, you, you, maybe a uh, recession is you, you, you lose 1% of GDP growth or depression, you go down 10%. No, no one has models where airline traffic goes down 80%. I mean, it's, it's just not in the models. Now, again, I don't think it lasts forever, but it doesn't need to. All it has to do is go down long enough and enough to start tripping up the AAA tranches of these bonds. And then the Fed's got a problem because what they usually do is, as you know— is when they when they want to boost asset prices, they go buy the assets. So you can go buy this paper, but if the underlying business doesn't have the cash or support it, then the Fed winds up taking the loss. and And they try to organize things so they buy stuff that doesn't actually uh, expose them to 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 real losses. I think they may have gone beyond that now, but that's the theory anyway. And so then they've got to start giving money to the actual companies so the companies can make the payments on the loans, so that these CLO structures don't don't blow up. So that that's that that's what the Fed is, and which is what why I think that we haven't seen the end of this and that they're going to have to print a lot more money to keep the, the, these very perilous, uh, very steep pyramid of, of financial debt from, from falling over.
0: We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Arcana Corporation is on the verge of bringing the world's highest grade silver mine into production. The Revenue Virginias mine in Colorado has proven improbable silver reserves grading nearly 37 ounces per ton silver, with an all-in sustaining production cost of only US $8 per ounce of silver. The mine is fully permitted, with infrastructure already in place, and the company has announced they plan to commence production in 2020. Achieving successful production usually results in a significant upgrade. Share price re rating on the LaSan curve. Arcana trades under the ticker AUN in Toronto and AUNFF in New York. To learn more, go to arcana.com. That's A U R C A N A.com. All this money printing is, of course, very bullish for gold and the gold stocks. But do you think that if we get another liquidity crunch and the general equity sell off, that gold and gold stocks could sell off again?
1: Well, let, let's distinguish between um, between two things, well, the nominal price of gold and the real price of gold. And it is critical to, to think about the distinction. If you look at gold between 2000 and 2008 – it went from a generational low, you know, Brown's bottom of 250 to, to 1,000, call it more or less, went up uh, four times. Oil went up 13 times. And, and that's why you had this phenomenon where gold miners really never got any momentum going because gold would go up, they'd have more revenues, but then the costs would go faster. And so you, 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 there was this this feeling in the market that that gold miners were a bad business because however gold high went, uh, 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 your costs went up more. And, and that's because… It really wasn't gold going up. Gold was going down in real terms against other assets, and that's because gold doesn't like credit. It doesn't and, – and, and that period was a huge credit bubble, and gold hates that. Gold likes uh, when credit contracts. So let's look at 2008. Gold hit a record of 1,000, it, it, it hit a, a a spike low of 700 so 30%. It would stay there, but that was a spike low. The market went down 50%. Oil went down 80%. So if you were unlevered as a gold mine, that was actually a great time for you because your costs went down way more than your than, than your revenue did. And so you actually had margin expansion on a gold basis. Now, no one thinks of it that way. And the extent you've got nominal debt, that doesn't help you very much. But, but that is what happened. And so looking... Yeah, you know, at, at at the QEs, what do the QEs do? And again, you know, I mean, when I got in this business in two thousand eight nine, because of that crisis, I got it completely wrong. I I, I thought, hey, the Fed's printing lots of money, that's going to tank the dollar, the gold will, will will go higher, and it'll be great for gold mining companies. And the answer is no, it wasn't, because what QE did was it gave reserves to the banking system. It was not a helicopter drop of money. It was specifically giving banks reserves. Banks take those reserves, they magnify them by. 10, 20 X, right? And they, they lend them principally against people building assets, people building real estate, houses, office buildings, or airplanes, or generators, or all, all that CapEx stuff, right? And, and all that. Heavy capex, what it does is you get overcapacity. It actually lowers retail prices in some in some areas because you've overcapacity, and and so uh, and and as I said, that was a period of credit growth. And gold doesn't like that. And so again, you have this phenomenon where where they're printing money and gold is going down or not going up in real terms. It's like, what is going on? And that's what was going on is that it was, it was the Fed creating credit bubble. I think this these QE's are very very different in that in this QE the Fed is not giving banks, reserves, you're lending against new assets. They're in capacity. They're lending money to companies to make payroll to, so they can go buy, so they can eat and pay rent and, and cover current expenses. And so uh, so to me, these QEs are completely different animals. And and, and this QE is going to create huge amounts of consumer inflation because, again, it, it's designed specifically to to get the money to consumers that, that are paying it. Now, obviously, Wall Street is siphoning off a large part of that. Um, but... But, uh, but but that, that's the design. So to the extent that these programs are successful, I do expect gold to go up and I expect it to go up without having the corresponding increases in, in their in their operating costs, like oil, things like that. And, and that is the 70s, that is the ideal macro environment for, for a, a gold mining company when gold is going up and, and the other your input costs are not going up it, it, you know, it, to the same extent.
0: What's your outlook for the US dollar?
1: Well, I mean, Again, it's tricky to say because the dollar is has this, is in the grip of this massive short squeeze, and you can obviously see scenarios where if the Fed doesn't print fast enough, or they get timid, or the numbers get so large that they get they get a little spoot, that you could have a big short squeeze again, and then that would create uh, uh, falling asset prices, and then what the Fed would do is say, "Oh my God, that's a signal that we're not printing enough," and they'll run in and and, and print more money. So uh, I don't think that. F- dollar collapses quite yet, because I think there's still a lot of dollar debt out there that needs to be uh, funded, and and people need dollars to pay their debt back. If they don't, they lose their assets. So you still have this indigenous demand for the actual paper uh, dollars to, to pay your debts back. But I do think that uh, once they restart the economy, and they've dumped trillions upon trillions of money, of dollars, I should say into the economy, well, all of a sudden it'll get a lot easier to repay your debts, right? And I think that, I think that's when the dollar starts to fall out of bed. And, but when I say that, when people talk about how's the dollar going to do, they generally mean against other currencies, against the euro, against the yen, against yuan, you know, whatever it might be. And the way I look at it, again, is that most of those other currencies have dollars as their primary reserve asset. And so the dollar falls out of bed. They will, too, because that, that's what backs them, essentially. And is it the case that... Europe or China are going to have uh, better indigenous uh, uh, performance of their own loan portfolios inside those countries, and I think the answer has to be no. I mean, if, if if there's a big economic reset, it's hard to imagine China with its export model doing very well. And of course, as we all know, China has a, has the biggest credit bubble in the world's ever seen, so that's a disaster. And Europe has other problems. Uh, like an Asian population and they've got too much debt also. So I mean, I, you know, which currency is the worst? I, I, I don't have an opinion about that. I don't need to because I'm in the gold space. and. They're all going to devalue against gold at different rates, and it's you know I'm not sure which ones will devalue faster, but they all will. Over the
0: last couple of months, Dan, as you know, uh, with the virus coming out of China, governments reacted, and this has basically been like a self-inflicted wound to our economies. What type of recovery, or what non-recovery recovery, do you see coming out of this?
1: I mean, as as, as I say, I think money printing is pretty clear, looking at the theory and the historical record, that it has the function of taking money away from the working class and giving it to the speculators. And so I expect that to intensify, which means that you'll have this weird divergence of uh, Wall Street doing really well and the rest of the economy doing very badly. Um, The the Paycheck Protection Program helps companies with lots of employees. It does not help companies... Uh, with few employees, so if you're if you're a uh, really small company and, and all your inventory goes bad because it's food or or you know or you lose yours, you can't pay your rent or whatever it might be, I think there's going to be a lot of failure. And what that will do is it will allow the large private equity firms. To just to, to come in and snap up even larger pers- uh, parts of the economy than they did last time, and so you'll have further centralization of economic power, and uh, and and a further hollowing out of the of the, the middle class, and uh, I think it's a total disaster. When does it actually blow up? I mean, that's a harder question to answer. But but I mean, like, it's it's, I think it's hard to imagine a 1930-style deflation and bank collapse depression when the Fed has already printed trillions of dollars in the Congress, too. I mean, the Congress can't print money, but it can spend money that then the Fed has to fund through Treasury bond purchases, so it's almost the same thing. And and not only what they've already done, but what they're willing to do is basically unlimited. And so uh, I, I don't know how you get that. All, all the textbooks from the Keynes Economist said the problem of the 30s is the Fed simply didn't print enough money. That, that, again, that's just in their DNA. And so th- they've been training this for this for you know a, 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 almost a century, and the idea is next time this comes along. You just print as much money as you can. And look, let, let, let's be clear about this. It has worked in a sense, right? I mean, 2008 should have been our 1929. And it wasn't because the Fed was willing to print so much money. And so all that did was create a bigger problem, a bigger bubble. And now this is our 1929. But again, can the Fed overcome that by printing trillions of dollars? Well, on a nominal basis, yes. At some point, uh, the economy will blow up because free market economies require uh, a decision-making to be, uh, d- devolve to people. I mean, a you know, communist central planning doesn't work. And the more they, they run this story, the more economic power centralizes to a few people in New York, and, and the more you become like a communist country that can't function very well. Um, but is there still room left to run that story? Well, probably.
0: Question I've received from a listener recently is in regards to uh, fund manager Mary Katusa's advice for gold investors, gold stock investors, that is, to avoid all jurisdictions of countries that don't have swap lines set up with the US Fed and hopefully I don't do his theory disservice but in essence it's that companies that don't have these countries excuse me that don't have these swap lines set up they're going to they're going to experience a shortage of u.s dollars which is going to make it hard to service u.s dollar denominated debt it's going to cripple their economies which will result in bankruptcies and also ultimately potentially the nationalization of the gold mines that are in those countries uh what would be your response to such a theory
1: well I think that's a very specific logical chain, and it's not impossible. But there are a lot of other possibilities too. I mean, th- there's no question that, again, as I mentioned earlier, the whole world is in is in debt in dollar terms, and so if you don't can't get dollars, then it's much harder to pay your debts back, or to I should say to maintain your debts. Right? You can never pay them back, uh, but you can at least maintain them. Um, and and so the countries that that, as you say, can't get dollars directly from the Fed. Have a hard time doing that, um, but yeah, uh, you know, there's another option, which is you just default on dollar debt. I I used to live in Argentina, and I always wondered why, when those IMF dollar debts come due, they didn't just say drop dead, we're we're just gonna you know uh, uh, not you know, not pay back, hard default, and just go our own way with our own uh, currency. And and the reason they don't do this because the politicians want to borrow borrow more money, in dollar terms, uh, and so they they don't. But the extent that the dollar global uh, 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 hegemony is collapsing, there won't be that incentive to keep playing the game. And so I think you'll find more hard defaults. I I also think that um, uncharacteristically, the developed world has much more debt than the emerging market world does. And so there's probably less economic damage that happens in some of those countries for a a default than than it would in the the senior countries, to be sure. And then the last thing I would say is that uh, I, I think the days of the tank rolling up and the colonel popping out and saying, this is my mind now, get off. I think those are over and for a few reasons. One is the the way it works in in, in some of the funnier jurisdictions in Africa is the government, quote unquote, uh, gets a 10% carried interest more or less. And really what that means is that the, the strong man takes 10% off the top and sticks it in a Swiss bank account. And it actually works pretty well because he gets paid off the the capitalists western capitalists get their return their capital the, the, the employees get to work uh, the, the mine produces and and when he puts his friend in charge of it as uh, Mexico tried, as various African countries tried, uh, Mexico with oil wells. Uh, everyone knows that they, they can't the Colonel can't run a mine, and so it shuts, and then that doesn't help anybody. And so that there is a nice equilibrium in these countries, some of them, um, where, where everyone's happy. And I'm not sure that a hard default of the of the of the country's currency changes that equilibrium. If anything, the the uh, the cash flows; these things would go up a lot, and. Can I see them increasing taxes, saying, hey, we want 15%, not 10%? Uh, of course. But that's going to happen in the West, too. I mean, in the 30s, the only thing that was producing cash flow were gold mines, so they raised the taxes on them. And that'll happen again. Now, that's a high-class problem to have in a depression because no one else is making any money at all. Um, and, and so the stocks didn't really care much about that. But so, yeah, I mean, will some confiscate their mines? Well, yeah, yeah I, mean, I have no doubt. but But will all of them? No, I don't think so. And I think that it's a good reason to have a – broad portfolio of jurisdictions because you don't know who's going to raise their taxes first and what, how they're going to react. And uh, by having a, a, a broad dispersion of, of your capital, uh, you, you can avoid getting you know uh, overly harmed if, if one uh, jurisdiction does something bad. It could be the U.S. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, the, the, the idea of private ownership is basically a thing of the past, so the government can do anything. And again, right now the gold space is much too small for anyone to care about. But the extent that changes, um, uh you, you can have funny things happening. And I would just add one more thing, which is the you know, gold investors, the, the big boogaboo for, for gold investors is FDR, right? In, in 1933, he confiscated all the gold. And so you think, well, when is that going to happen again? If it happened in the US, it can happen again, and it can happen elsewhere. But if you think about it, you know, when, when did he confiscate it? Well, first of all, he didn't confiscate it. He paid you $20 an ounce for it. Now, to be sure, it's worth more than that. And, and he shortly revalued it to $35 an ounce. But But at the moment he confiscated it, the stock market was down 90% and the dividend yield was 10%. And that was under depressionary economics. And so you should have already sold your gold at that point and put it back into yielding assets. In other words, it was by the time the government moves to do that, you should be out of the trade anyway. And if you're so obtuse that you hadn't left the trade yet, he did a huge favor by pushing into the financial markets. And so I think some of these scenarios where, um, where governments are, are, are rolling the tanks up. And if, if that happens, things are so bad and, and the, the, the prices of other assets are so low that you should already be out of the trade into other things.
0: We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Silver One Resources is an exploration and development company backed by strategic investors Eric Sprott and SSR Mining. At Silver One's Candelaria Mine project in Nevada, there is already a historic resource estimated at 127 million ounces of silver, which Silver One is developing and advancing. The company's Phoenix Silver project, located within the Arizona Silver Belt, is an early stage exploration project on which native silver vein fragments have been discovered surface. One grab sample assayed an astounding 14,688 ounces per ton. Yes, that's right. Ounces, not grams. Silver One has tremendous exploration potential, is extremely leveraged to the price of silver, and is cashed up and poised to increase shareholder value. Silver One trades in New York under the ticker SLVRF and in Toronto under the ticker SVE. To learn more, go to silverone.com. That's silverone.com. When you look at the junior gold sector, where are you finding the best value right now?
1: Well, you know, it's been tough because I'm sure as your listeners know, um, it's really easy for fast money investors to uh, buy the GDX or GXJ, the ETFs, right? And so they've just Performed tremendously well. They had this big spike low, and then all the money rushed in because it became it became obvious what was happening. Everyone had to be in the party, and so uh, the stocks that have not been in the liquidity flow have not done as well. Uh, but again, this goes back to the distinction between value and uh, and and liquidity. In my view, that in gold mining, this is one of the only sectors, if not the only broad sector, scale is your enemy. So the biggest companies do the worst overall. The barracks, it becomes such a management nightmare to manage all those mines and all those different jurisdictions, You not just barracks, but all the big companies. And then on top of that, when you're a big company, you have to look for projects that make sense for your scale. And as we all know, as you scale up these project gold projects, your the your, your pitfalls become enormous. The the capex goes bananas. There are always overruns, and they never perform as, as you want because they're so complex. Whereas you get some little company with a little deposit that you can re- actually understand, that can be financed fairly easily. Uh, that produces cash flow. It may have a better grades or whatever else. It may be too small for a major, but it, but from a cash perspective, it may be better. Uh, and they're happy to tackle it. So I've, I, I so I I I adamantly think that scale is your enemy. And right now, it doesn't matter because again, liquidity is flowing to the biggest players, and it's opened up a divergence between. The, uh, the, the the more senior guys have really run and the junior guys who they have gone up but just not as much. And I think that will, the juniors will, will close that gap and overcome the seniors at some point. Whether it happens, you know, going straight up or whether we, we go down first and they go down as much, I, I, that, that's harder to say. But I think that the, there's a big value distinction between, at this point, between the, the, the more senior guys and the junior guys and the, the junior guys have the advantage. It just takes, t- it takes time, right? Again, it's easy to buy the GXJ if you know what you're doing. To to buy these juniors, you you got to meet the management, you got to find the company, and get meet the management, do due diligence. You know, and get get comfortable that you want to be part of the story. And then, again, the more capital you have, uh, uh, the riskier it is for you to take too much of a position. That now you lost your your liquidity a bit because if you buy 10% of a company on offer, you you can't really sell it. So it just takes a lot longer for the capital to find it, regardless of the value. But to to me, the value is there, and the capital will find it because capital is looking. Non-gold generalist capitals all of a sudden waking up and looking at the space and and, uh, and and that will take time but they will they will find their way down to these the, the, the smaller companies in the sector.
0: I definitely agree. Uh, do you invest in the royalty companies also?
1: Uh you know I, I don't only because um, I'm looking for uh, for I, I look for. Financial resilience is the downside. So I've mean, i thought for a long time gold is going to $10,000 an ounce. I think the number is probably higher now. But that doesn't mean it can't go to $1,000 first. That was my my view when gold was $1,800, whatever, seven years ago. And so I don't just say, hey, who's the most levered guy who's the smallest grade uh, uh, to to get that moonshot? Because if you're in those companies and gold goes against you for a couple of years, you're out of the game. And so I, I want some resilience financially so they can survive a dip, but then I want Operational leverage, not financial leverage, but operational leverage. So when gold goes up, I get a big convexity on on the uh, on, on the upswing. So that that's that's what I look for in in these in these
0: companies. So like uh, high cost
1: producers then would be one of those plays. High cost, as long as there's any debt coming due soon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or I mean, you know, high high cost, you know, high cost producer 1250 looks a lot different now. Gold is 1700, right? Um, so, so that that's what I try to 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 look for, or a developer, right, that doesn't have any debt and doesn't have any any operations. And so, if gold goes against you, it's really easy to uh, furlough your guys and, and, and wait for better times and come back and, and when gold price recovers. And so, I think that's that, that's key to survive this thing. Uh, to, to, to if you, if you look at, for example, uh, a, a gold chart, I've, I have a monthly gold series of gold price in Weimar marks. And from a distance, it's just a straight power curve. It just goes straight up. And you think, well, that's easy, you just buy gold and sit on it. Right. But if you if you zoom into month-to-month changes, the volatility keeps increasing month to month as they get deeper in hyperinflation. It, to, so you, you might buy gold and lever yourself up enormously saying oh, this is the easiest trade in the world. And then all of a sudden the next month is down 20%. Like how did that happen? And meanwhile, your Bratwurst is up like 10x. It's like, well, you're you're ruined. You get a margin call and you're out of the trade. And so so you gotta be careful about Trades are too obvious because, again, as the dollar does start sprawling down down the toilet bowl, the volatility will will increase, and so you've got to have positions that can 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 maintain uh, their ownership of the asset in the face of enormous volatility. But of course, you also want to maximize your your performance. So, so it's it's a it's a trade-off between operational leverage and financial resilience.
0: I'm going to put a link in the show notes, Dan, to uh, your commentaries that you post on your website. Mirmacan.com, And can you, just before we sign off here, can you give listeners a little taste of what your articles that you write, your monthly
1: research entails? Yeah, so I, I, I try to give macro commentary once a month. It sometimes flips a bit if I'm too busy. But basically examining uh, uh, current events and and how it uh, relates to credit bubbles. Uh, but my, my real expertise is I, I've been studying Credit bubbles and historical. I'm actually writing a book on the history of credit bubbles. You can trace this stuff back thousands of years. There are 28 debt cancellations in Mesopotamia. I mean, that, that's how embedded this is in 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 markets. And the first well-recorded one, which I discuss, is uh, in Athens of 594 BC. Um, so this stuff is nothing new. And 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 so as we live through these events and 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 there's this idea that th- these are unprecedented and that's never happened before. And that's just wrong. This has happened before, not just once or twice, but dozens or hundreds of times. And so by looking at historic episodes, you can get a sense of where we are in our current cycle and, and, and what, what the future possibilities are. Again, I'm very confident that I know the end game, but, but the path to get there is very uncertain and, and it does no good to be right on the, on, on the end game. If if you, if you, if you screw up the, the, the way to get there. And so that, that's part of navigating this this uh, this situation we're in. It doesn't have a happy ending.
0: You've been listening to Dan Oliver from miramccann.com. Dan, thanks for coming on the show today. I appreciate your insights. Thanks for having me.
1: the mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth you know a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or a hundred thousand dollars and it might discover something worth a couple billion there is no sector that i know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility certainly not the certainty but the possibility of 10 for one returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks Concommitment